Hi, and welcome to episode 18 of Rock Talk for Industrial Components. My name is Bill Martin. And I'm Paul Site. Hey, Bill. It's good to talk to you again. It's been uh, it's been a while, I think all of an hour. So good to be <laughs> back with you. Um, hey, I'm going to shout out for this this podcast. It's episode 18. I uh, want to give a big shout out to Don King. He's in our product management group in Milwaukee with Rockwell. And he's also known as the quintessential authority on e-stops. That kind of gives you a little brush of what we're going to talk about here. That sounds pretty important, Paul. It's got to be if we're talking about it. <laughs> right. Speaking of that, so, so what is today's topic, Paul? Glad you asked, Bill. I knew that was going to come sometime. The title is E-Stop the Presses. I always say, look, E-Stops have been around well before machine safety as a topic, right? I mean, obviously, yes, we had to protect people, but E-Stops have always been out there and been deployed in industrial solutions and applications. But, you know, machine safety is relatively new. Well, that brings up a lot of confusion around are those things classified together do they share parts of classification and how do you deploy them as part of a, a safety solution are they part of it are they not so we're going to talk about all of those type of uh questions and answers here sounds great so i had this scenario the other day i was skiing with my my daughter and we're coming off with the uh, chairlift on the top all of a sudden she plunks over I'm trying to snow plower out of the way. And then somehow I fall on top of her. Meanwhile, the uh, operator is up at the top. He's asleep because he's just a high school student. It's <laughs> nine o'clock at night. I'm digging around like, hey, where, where's the e-stop? I gotta get something to stop this chairlift. I was going crazy. So yeah, I'm real anxious about uh, today's topic. <laughs> Are you sure he was sleeping? Maybe he was just on a, on a phone texting someone and not paying attention. It's probably that. Or he thought it was very entertaining me. Uh, <laughs> falling over on the, the chairlift. <laughs> All right. Well, to protect you and your daughter, it sounds like we better get deep in this topic. So with us today, it's my pleasure to introduce for a third time. Yes. The hat trick, the hat trick of uh, being a guest on our podcast here with Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan, welcome. Let us know uh, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Gentlemen, how are you? A third time. I can't believe it. That's crazy. JJ, congratulations. I don't, I don't know if it gets any better than this, fellas. It doesn't. Well, maybe a fourth time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just real quick, that could mean one of two things. Either you know a whole lot of stuff or we don't have enough friends to bring on multiple people on our podcast. So thanks either way. <laughs> I, I'm in good company with you guys. And, and yeah, for those of you who, who don't know me, uh, my name is Jonathan Johnson, but everyone calls me JJ here in the company. I'm an OEM technical consultant and I work in our machine builder group. And that's basically an application engineer. And I help our machine builder customers with those safety applications and design. That's what I do. Oh, that sounds great. So yeah, you know, going back to my chairlift falling over experience, JJ, can you give us a nice overview of what, what is an e-stop? What is an e-stop? Where do you want me to start? You want me to start at the, the device concept or the safety function concept or what? Let's start at the device concept and then merge into the safety side. All right. Yeah. So the thing with e-stops in our industry is you kind of view it as two kind of two different things a, a little bit. We have the safety devices, right? And of course, that's where you guys uh, go in. Mr. Don King, like you said, is the quintessential uh, expert on these. Uh, he's uh, the guy that manages our device products, right? And there's an IEC standard for that. And so it's a very specific type of device that has a very specific design standard. Now, counter that with the safety function. So when the device is applied, 
There's another standard. It's an ISO standard, 13850, in case anyone really cares about the alphabet soup or not. But that's one where the functional requirements of emergency stop are used. And that talks about identifying like which devices can be used on what type of machinery, how the safety stop performance would be done, um, how it has to operate with other machine functions, how the machine stops, and stuff like that. These stops seem like a very basic concept, right? And we've we've all probably seen them. We've all probably pushed it one at some point in time. But yet, there's still a ton of questions that come into you and your team on deploying these. So why is there so much confusion around a device that's been, you know, almost, I don't know, not when we started invented electricity or discovered electricity, but pretty close to when we started running machinery right. with electricity, we've we kind of had this e-stop. Yeah, because it's been covered in, in so many things, right? It has, it's such a common default practice within our industry. And really the, the purpose of e-stops, right, is to account for those unexpected hazardous events, okay? Most industries and most industry-specific applications have tried to address the concept of emergency stop in one way or another. So really kind of what resulted in the confusion was just that every different standard took a different approach to defining it in their document, right? And so maybe if it's the machine tool industry with, with presses and whatnot versus the packaging industry, those experts who wrote those standards had a different perspective on them. And so as a result, it just sort of resulted in this kind of a very common function with multiple perspectives tied to it. And then what sort of happened kind of back at about, oh, about 10, 15 years ago, when 13850, the ISO standard came around, we tried to sort of codify some of the core requirements and now that's been kind of permeated into the rest of the industry right now. So really, we, we all are now starting to refer to the same document, so to speak. So that's really how things got to be so confusing. And so that's, that's one aspect. But then what, us, what also makes it challenging is there's several pieces to the e-stop equation, right? There's, like we said, there's device types that you can have. There's stopping types that go along with the emergency stop function. There's the safety performance requirements. And then there's just also the idea of where do I put one and how many do I need? There's just a lot of facets to it. The e-stop is kind of like the Rodney Danger field of our industry, right? <laughs> it's been around. It doesn't get any respect. But, you know, when you kind of look beyond it, it's, it's a pretty interesting concept. You know, when I think about e-stop, I think of pushing that big red button. But, you know, are there other types of e-stops besides just the big red button? Yeah, usually in your mind's eye, right? You think of the big mushroom head button, right? And I did a lot of work down south, so you mash that e-stop is what you right. do. Oh, when I go. worked in the paper <laughs> industry. Yeah, you mash it, right? But yeah, you're thinking of something that you, you mash. But actually, e-stops can be a couple of other technologies just based on what's practical, right? You got things like pull cords, which, you know, we have a, a pretty good product offering as well, right? So for like material handling and long conveyance applications, the, the pull cord concept works. In industries that have roll handling, right, like various print industries, converting industries, there's the idea of trip bars. That's a, a, an e-stop as well. Not as prevalent, but foot pedals are also one, not very often used and sort of kind of not the most appropriate, but can be appropriate. And then what a lot of people don't realize is actually a traditional disconnect switch on your control panel can also be considered an e-stop. Really? Like a 1494U disconnect switch? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, do you realize that we, we sell our disconnects in two different color types? Yeah, there's the traditional black, but then there's a, yeah, you're right, a red, yellow one. Yeah. Did you ever know why? No, I just somebody wanted red. So in, in the emergency stop requirements, the 
color red and yellow is a very specific color scheme and particularly the red with yellow background, which is the contrast, that's a specific requirement in emergency stop. And so if somebody has an electrical control panel and they're using it for just traditional everyday on-off isolation type stuff, right? Then they would use the black handle. But there are applications in which you can use the actual electrical disconnect handle to shut off the machine in an emergency function. And if that's the case, you take that black one off, you put the red and yellow one on, and now it's an e-stop. Cool. I know Paul has it on some uh, 140 MTs as well, too. Yeah. I would have answered fashion, but obviously it's function, so I would have been more... On the color, you do get some people that probably like the look of the red one, you know, like, yeah, let's get this red and yellow one. But no, it's there is a technical reason for that color scheme, yeah. Good to know. A little known fact, it's kind of like the Cliff Clavin, you know, of e stops here. So, what makes it an e stop different than any other type of operator device? Okay, so back to my IEC standard, right? The stuff that Don sells. E-stops are designed with very specific, the mechanisms are, are very specifically designed for this function. Probably the biggest and most obvious one, right, is the latching and trigger action, right? Like when you mash that e-stop, you're not tickling it, right? The e-stop has to be a very definitive, if I'm hitting it, I'm hitting it, and it goes all the way. So it's the latching and it's the trigger action concept. In addition, the mushroom cap has to be fixed. So the operator has to be designed to stay intact. It physically can't come apart. And from the reactuation requirements, there has to be a separate manual action is kind of the safety weasel jargon we use. And that's the twist functionality, right? You just can't pop it out. It has to be a a manual action. Like I said, the color scheme is another important one. And then we have uh, a self-monitored contact, which is another facet of our devices specifically as well. The use of a normally open contact wired in series with the normally closed. And that's really to capture a very specific potential component failure of the normally closed auxiliary contacts coming decoupled from the mechanism, right? Which is a known failure through vibration and and shock and stuff. And so those are kind of the five kind of aspects of a, of a device, an e-stop device. So are there um, you know other ways to stop a machine? I mean, does an e-stop really have to be the, the specific way to, to stop a machine? So every machine needs to be able to be e-stopped, but then yes, there are other stops. There's the traditional control stop, right? The robot industry actually has one called a protective stop, which is safety rated stop that's not an e-stop. And then they have the e-stop. So there's really three, if you look at the robot industry, there's three stops. They all do a different thing, but fundamentally from the e-stop concept, I mean, I don't know, now we got to kind of delve into the stop categories. Are you familiar with stop categories? No, I'm not a safety expert, no. Not a safety expert. A quick review, right? Well, well, it's kind of the weird thing too, right, is we use the term category in a couple of different ways. And I don't, don't ask me why, right? When you think of categories in safety, sometimes it's the dual channel versus single channel stuff. But we have stop categories. And they're, they're defined in, in the U.S. standards anyway, in NFPA 79. And that's category zero, category one stop, and category two stop. Are you familiar with those? No. No? Okay. So, so Paul, you are. You're a drives guy. So like a cat zero stop, right? That's where you just kind of mash the e-stop, the contactors drop out, and the machine just coasts, right? Well, kind of like a chairlift if you fall over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chairlift, you fall over and it kind of coasts and hits you in the back of the head. Yeah. Yes, that's a category zero stop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's a category one stop. 
right? Now that's where when you mash the e-stop, oftentimes it's done with a time delay or something like that, but that's where you allow it a drive or a servo to do its job first before you disconnect power. And that is you control the stopping performance and then you remove power. And that's just operating on the premise that we've been designing and developing drives for decades and they're very efficient and proficient at stopping. And sometimes that's the safest thing to do in a large application, maybe with an inertia load or something, that if you have a high inertia load you don't immediately remove power. You let the drive do his job first because it's the fastest and safest way to do it. And then you remove power. So category zero is immediate removal and coast. Category one is uh, controlled decel and then removal of power. There's a set of another category called category two. Uh, we don't talk about it in the context of e-stop, but I'll just mention it real quick. That's one where you do the controlled decel, for example but then you leave power available to the, the motor for at a standstill. But the first two, zero and one, are the ones that are required for emergency stop. So JJ, on the stop one category, what is decel and remove power? Do you have to validate zero speed or if it's a delay and it goes two seconds, it's often two seconds, there could be some movement or how does that? Yes. So this is where I get to do the safety guy at depend shrug. We're also good at pivoting to this concept of risk assessment, right? And so fundamentally, Paul, to your point, in the context of using a category one stop, yes, you need to risk assess what the safest way to stop is. And so to your point, you would look at the stopping performance of the system and evaluate just through your knowledge of the mechanics and transmission and all the other aspects of the design that let's just say that three seconds is a safe and efficient way to stop this machine and you assess that and you document it, then you can set your decel time to three seconds in your drive. Now the safety function is actually the stopping and removal of power. The decel is technically not part of that safety function. It's from the designed aspect of the safety function and you're allowed to use standard drive parameters for that. You don't have to rely on any kind of safety rated parameters or anything like that. Oh, that's cool. So is, is an e-stop considered a machine safety device or does it perform the actual safety function? So an e-stop is kind of one of those things where it's, it's actually technically considered a complementary function, kind of back to the concept of risk assessment, right? So e-stops are for the unforeseen circumstances. So that means that there has to be foreseen circumstances in, in knowing and machine hazards, right? And so the way it works is you do risk assessment and you have reasonably foreseeable hazards and you define your control system and you do your risk mitigation to those reasonably foreseeable hazards like installing guard doors and installing or light curtains and all that kind of stuff. Then there's this unforeseen circumstance, right? You just don't know what you don't know. And that's the role that the e-stop button fulfills in this game here. I've had customers who will call me up and say, hey, I need help designing my safety or whatever. And I said, what are you using today? Well, we have an e-stop. And I'm like, well, do you have anything else on this machine? We kind of got to uh, make sure that the e-stop is properly applied. And the main reason is because it's manually actuated, right? If you think of a guard door, all right, Bill, if you're going to open up a machine or a guard door, Paul, you're going to start digging around. You open that guard door, 
what does the machine do if it's safety interlocked? Should stop. Theory. It stops, but it stops automatically, right? You open the door and by just your natural interaction with the door, the machine goes to a safe state. But let's say, you know, you got trapped into a piece of equipment and there's just an e-stop button. Stopping that machine may result if you're lucky enough to have Paul or I stop by, <laughs> say, hey, Bill, how you doing? And we see you stuck in the machine. Now, you know, You've lost a couple bets to me, Bill. If if you owed me twenty bucks, <laughs> yeah, I might jump in and collect before I hit that e stop. You know, hey, hey, should I hit this e stop, Bill? What's it worth to you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, what's it worth to you if I mash this e stop, right? So, but it's this idea, right? E stops are manually actuated devices versus an automatically actuated device. Yeah, it makes sense. Yep. All right. So let's get into the. The details here and the semantics, because I know you like talking about those corner cases, JJ. So an e-stop, is it required to shut down the entire machine? Okay. Yes. Yeah, Paul. I always get the weird questions. So, so I get to do the it depends thing again, right? So here's how I answer that question. Yes, every machine must be e-stoppable. That's kind of how I say it. It's not the technical jargony stuff. But... I think a lot of people typically will ask me, usually like, I have an e-stop button. Does this one button have to stop the whole machine, right? Or if I have five buttons, do all five buttons have to stop the whole machine or the same part of the machine? And really what this is is broaching is the topic of zoning, zone control, if you've heard of zoning. Actually, the standards use the term span of control if you want to get technical about it. But it's this idea of zones. And so fundamentally, let's just take, for example, a real simple application where you have an in-feed conveyor. Let's say you have some process in the middle of that, and then you have an out-feed conveyor. So you got material coming in automatically, you have material going out automatically, and you have this middle process. If I have an e-stop button, I do not need to shut down all three pieces of equipment. Sometimes there may be a circumstance where it's more hazardous to shut down the whole entire machine. Right. I had an application where the middle part of the process was a heat treating process for sealing of food containers. Right. If I had a problem on the infeed and I mashed the e-stop and cleaned up the infeed and I stopped the process in the middle, I would have material in the oven that would catch on fire. Right. And so we actually installed three different e-stops and we zoned this machine in three different zones. So we stopped on the in-feed zone, we had the e-stop on the out-feed zone, and then we had the e-stop on the actual process zone. And one didn't control the other. So that's kind of how that works. But again, it all comes down to risk assessment, understanding zoning. And as long as the e-stop itself is identifiable with the section of the machine it's controlling, then you're good. That's kind of the general rule. So does, does every machine require an e-stop button because i remember on that chairlift on the bottom i i saw the big red mushroom button i'm trying to remember if it was at the top however i did remember uh, the rip cord that would catch your skis if you're going down the- yeah yeah the, usually the trip wire is what you hit right you did you stumble off the chair before you hit the trip wire i was in between <laughs> so i was looking for the trip wire to pull <laughs> shut this thing up Right, because I mean, normally the the trick with the like the chairlift concept, right, is if you have trouble getting off, yeah, you'll trip the wire and stop it so that it helps you get off. 
but you're stuck in this no man's land of of like falling off before you get to the tripwire or the button. I was curious if there should be a button at the top. So are buttons actually required or no? <laughs> uh, so, so generally speaking, yes, every machine requires an e-stop. But again, there's a lot of really nuancey stuff. So let's just hit the you know 80-20 rule, right? Let's back up real quick to the intent. Emerge stop is a manually actuated device for unintended situations. So the one place that all e-stops need to be is where a person is expected to be. Right. So if you have two operator stations on a machine and you expect people to be at them, then yes, you need a button on each op station and then other places where you're expected to be. Right. And, and the standards don't define that. It just says accessible and, and, and some weird kind of general vague language within reach and stuff like this. So here's how I say it. every control panel or every op station needs to have an e-stop button. And then wherever else you expect people to be, places such as if you have full body access guard doors, or you got another station where people maybe are doing inspection or something like that, that's where you would also have to have an e-stop. It's probably in the, the little huts where the guy was not paying attention. <laughs> I mean, well, and, you get, and to Paul's point, that guy could have been texting on the phone or, or whatever. His job is supposed to be watching, the, but like, that is sort of the inherent problem with these manually actuated devices if something were really to be going wrong someone has to be aware yeah yeah i i always like to tell the story of when i was in the service and we we had to do maintenance on energized equipment as part of the job we had a rope that we blocked off the area and only the worker in the energized gear could be in that space but we had this rope and you would put it around your shoulder and under your one arm. And then if you got hung up in, in electrical equipment, your buddy who's outside of that barricade is supposed to yank you out of the gear. So definitely manually dependent. You're also hoping that that guy doesn't owe you 20 bucks and that he doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. So, but it, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, again, it plays its role, plays its part. And you know, and the rope thing works. We got two guys and you're, you're in sync. Yeah, the rope thing, I guess is fine. You know, a lot of times in machinery and equipment, you don't know who's going to be wandering around or, you know, shift changes and stuff like that. But yeah. The alternative is you're doing the 60 year shuffle and hoping somebody walks by and sees you and de-energizes. So right. yeah, it's better than that. That's true. So, hey, JJ, to make this a respectable podcast session, we have to ask the all en encompassing question. What did we not ask you that's that our listeners might want to know about e-stops? Oh goodness. I'm not sure. I mean, we think we hit all the high points here. I don't, I can't think of any, you guys are too thorough. I think we're pretty good. Okay. I got a question for you and I, I'm going to break the rule of asking a question and not knowing the answer, but we didn't talk about, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about formats. You brought up everything that I can think of. You brought up light curtains, cable poles. You didn't mention yep. safety mats at all. And I'm going to guess, cause I don't know the answer and you can correct me or tell me how clueless I am. But it's more of a, an on-permissive than it is an e-stop. Is that correct? Actually, a floor mat is not an emergency stop function. That is actually what's called a present sensing device. Gotcha. And that would, that would fall actually more in the family of like even light curtains and area scanners and those devices. So they detect when someone is present on them. So a safety mat is actually a traditional safety function, meaning you step into a zone that's matted, you will stop the machine. 
automatically. There's no interaction. So yeah, safety mats are actually a true present sensing safety function. Okay, cool. Yep. Well, I didn't realize there's all this information about e-stops. I just thought it was a simple button. Hit it, stop. Deceptively simple, but well, of course, we safety guys like to make things more confusing. It's job security. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, true. you don't get to be on your podcast three times, you know, just by nature being smart. You just got to basically know how to snowball people. <laughs> or you have to work in an area that has five different documents that call out the same function and then there's enough confusion that we need a podcast to explain it. Well, I tell people all the time in the safety world, I'm a big distiller, right? I'm just a big distiller of this information and and different industries do different things, different applications. They all kind of have different takes on them. Yeah. So my job is to pull all that in, distill it and give it to my machine builder customers in the in the manageable bits they need. Well, we appreciate your efforts for doing that. Yeah, we definitely appreciate somebody that's willing to go through all of the pages and pages of endless documentation and distill it down so it's palatable for us. Someone has to do it. <laughs> I'm glad it's you and not me. Thanks for pulling off the hat trick. You know, you've done three of these. Really appreciate it. It's middle of hockey season heading in the playoffs. So good time to pull a hat trick out. And uh, certainly we appreciate your time. Well, I'm always happy to help. If there's another topic you want me to talk about, I can even make stuff up. Heck, why not? I can go that route. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll find another topic for you. It's just a matter of time. There you go. I think it'd be more fun if we make up a topic and you have to support it. Sure. There we go. I could, as long as no one's going to check me, that's fine. I could talk as long as you want. All right. Speaking of next topics. So, so Paul, what's going to be our, our next topic? We are going to delve into the colorful world of IO stack lights, Bill. And I don't even Ooh. know what we're talking about. So that's the topic. And you'll just have to tune in to episode 19 when we cover it. I can't wait. <laughs> Me either. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, as always, thanks for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Breaker Podcast, Pocket Cast, and Apple Podcasts. Please let us know if you want to hear a topic that we haven't covered. We'd love to do it for you. Stay safe out there. Stay warm if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, have a great month. We'll talk to you next month.